On today's episode, we'll talk about fever and fever phobias. Today on Kids Doc Talk. Welcome to Kids Doc Talk with Dr. Jenny. Dr. Jenny is a board-certified pediatrician and is the director of telemedicine at Pediatric Associates. Hi, welcome back to the Kids Doc Talk podcast with me, Dr. Jenny. Today, we'll be talking about fever and fever phobia. We'll talk a little bit about what fever is, why fever happens, when to worry about fever, and what to do about it. So fever is one of the most common reasons that kids are brought to the pediatrician, common reason we see kids in the office, and certainly a common reasons that we see kids in the emergency room for. So first, let's talk about what fever actually is. So believe it or not, the fever is actually defined by a temperature of 100.4 or above. So even if you have a temperature that you feel is typically lower, right, you never really reach 98.6 or your kids never really reach 98.6. And so you think that at 100, they might have a fever, right, or 100.1, certainly seems like it would be a fever. It's actually not. Anything less than 100.4 is considered a normal range for temperatures. So just as an aside, this is talking about kids who have healthy immune systems. I'm not addressing kids who have any kind of immunocompromised, kids who are any kind of uh, medication that suppresses their immune system, like high-dose steroids or chemotherapy. That's not what we're talking about here. Talking about kids who have healthy, normal immune systems, that fever is defined by 100.4. So for most people, that results in a huge sigh of relief because a lot of times what we see is just an elevated temperature and can certainly just be within normal range. So again, anything less than 100.4, not a fever. So why does this happen? So I like to think about the immune system as kind of like the guards, right? The, the, the soldiers or the guards of the body. And so anytime there's an intruder or what the body perceives to be an intruder, it's going to send those guards or those soldiers out to kind of fight and investigate. So I like to think of fever as like that alarm, like whoa, whoa. think of that red alarm sound going off in the body to let us know, to let externally know that there's something going on, right? Body temperature is going to rise as a result of those guards or soldiers trying to fight off the perceived intruder. And that's why the temperature goes up. So why is that important? All it tells us is that fever is a clue. That's all it is. Fever is not an illness. Fever is certainly not dangerous. It's just a clue for us that there's something going on, and it's almost always something that we need to investigate. So let's talk about some potential intruders. So the first and most common one that we see in kids is infections. And the most common infections is a virus. So you've probably all taken your kids to the pediatrician and have been told that it's, quote, just a virus. So I don't like that terminology because just the virus seems very dismissive and it certainly doesn't mean that your kid is not sick. It doesn't mean that they, that they don't feel good. Um, so I don't like to say anything, it's just the virus. And I think with COVID, we've learned that, right? It's not just the virus. But what we mean by that is that the most common cause of fever in, again, kids who are healthy, who have a healthy immune system, is a viral illness. Um, that's, that's the most common, right? It's just infections and, and virus being the most common of those. Certainly there's other causes of infections like bacterial infections, which can be um, certainly things that we see in kids, but not, not as common as viruses. Second kind of intruder that we see are, are things like autoimmune diseases, right? So it's, it's the body is thinking that there's an intruder there. 
there's not one there really, but those soldiers, those guards are still trying to attack and get rid of the intruder. So it's kind of the body attacking itself. That's why it's called autoimmune. Examples of that are things like juvenile arthritis, lupus, certainly things that we see in kids, but much less common. A third kind of intruder, one that we think about, but thankfully is very rare in kids, is malignancy, right? Things like cancer and leukemia sometimes can present with fever. Um, again, not as common. We always think about this, and we not always mention it, but whenever we see kids with fever, it always crosses our minds. Again, much, much less common, and we'll talk a little bit about some clues um, that would sort of lead us to think in that direction. Most common one, again, is infection. Most common type of infection in healthy kids is a virus. So in kids with healthy immune systems who are fully vaccinated, that's another kind of caveat that I want to take some time to talk about. Um, viruses are the things that we see cause fever most frequently. So what is happening? At that time, we have a virus, right? That's the intruder, causing symptoms. Common viral symptoms that you guys have all probably seen with kids are cough, congestion, runny nose, vomiting, diarrhea, rash, and again, that's an actual symptom of the virus. And a fever is a clue to let us know that the body is trying to get rid of an infection. What that means is fever is actually our friend, right? Fever is those guards or those uh, soldiers trying to mount an immune response. As a result of that, the body temperature goes up and you have those really, really hardworking white blood cells trying to fight off the viral infection um, and trying to get rid of this viral intruder. Fever is our friend that lets us know that the immune system is working really, really hard. So what does that mean? It means that you don't always have to get the fever to go down. You don't always have to lower the fever. If your child is comfortable, if they're sitting there, if they're, if they're watching TV or playing nicely or even sleeping, it means they're comfortable. If they're comfortable, you don't have to get the fever down. When do we get to have it, you know, want it, want it to come down? So if the child really doesn't feel good, if they're having a hard time staying hydrated or drinking or right, making good wet diapers or just urinating well in older kids, um, that's really an indication to try to get that fever to come down because they're going to feel a little better. They're going to perk up. They're going to drink right, and just feel a little bit better. And certainly that's something that, that we want. But other than that, really, really no good indication to try to get that fever to come down. Totally fine to let a child have a fever. Nothing dangerous or catastrophic will happen. What's the real risk with a virus? So like I mentioned, it's not the fever itself. That number is actually not super relevant for us. What is relevant? So how does the child look? So what that means is how are they acting? Are they eating and drinking? Are they happy and running around? If the answer is no, then we pause. And again, we try to get that fever down and we try to make sure that they stay hydrated. The most common risk, right, the real danger with viruses that result in fever is actually dehydration, right? I'm sure you guys have all had kids who have had like a cold or runny nose or like a stomach bug and they're kind of laying around and almost lethargic and just not feeling great. And so when kids don't feel good, they don't want to eat and oftentimes they don't want to drink. So if you've been my patient, you've probably heard me say this many, many times. It's okay if you don't want to eat, but it's not okay if you don't want to drink. So if you're going to push anything when your kids are sick, push fluids. Don't worry about the food. When you're sick, you probably don't want to eat either. I'm never worried about appetite. Appetite always comes back and no one's going to die from hunger from having a viral illness. But I have seen kids get very, very sick from dehydration with you know, something as simple as a virus just because they're not feeling good and are not motivated to drink. So again, risk, dehydration, what can you do about it? 
try to push those fluids. Things like Pedialytes, Pedialyte Pops can also work really, really well. So I mentioned kids who are fully vaccinated, right, as having this risk of, of, of having most common cause of fever being, um, being an infection, being a virus. So the reason that I included kids who are vaccinated in this is because prior to the era of modern vaccines, we actually saw kids get very, very sick with bacterial and serious bacterial infections like blood infections, meningitis, things like that. Obviously, we still see those things, but much, much less commonly. And in kids who are typically younger or too young to get these vaccines. So kids who are fully vaccinated, we lump into the category of healthy um, immunocompetent or kids who have a, a healthy, competent, robust immune system. And again, most common cause of fever in that population is a virus. Kids who are not vaccinated or not fully vaccinated or maybe missing some vaccines or not caught up on all of their vaccines fall into a high-risk category. We treat these kids the same way we would if somebody who is lacking um, some, some defense mechanisms in their immune systems. Maybe somebody who's taking, like I mentioned, high dose steroids or somebody who's on chemotherapy or somebody who has a chronic medical condition like sickle cell. These kids are more high risk and fever and that makes us pause a little bit and they're much higher risk of having a bacterial infection as a result um, of having fever, right? Or really rather the fever telling us that this is a bacterial infection. These kids have much more, um, much more high risk of, of having a serious uh, disease. And as such, they end up with having a lot more blood draws, a lot more uh, what we call pokies and sharpies, which means they get a lot more of a workup because, again, the risk is higher and we have to investigate a little bit more. So definitely, definitely a good, a good reason, one of the many good reasons of make sure, making sure that your kids are fully vaccinated um, to one, lower the risk of a serious bacterial infection and also lower the amount of workup that they have to undergo every time they get so we talked about viral infections. Now, what about bacterial infections? So like I mentioned, we see this much less commonly now that we have modern vaccines. However, still absolutely possible. The ones that you may be familiar with, ear infections, right, oftentimes can be bacterial. Things like pneumonias, things like urinary tract infection, things like meningitis. By the way, all of those can still be caused by a virus. Just because somebody has pneumonia doesn't mean that it's a bacterial infection, but certainly um, can happen and, and we do see it quite a bit. The treatment for bacterial infections is, you guessed it, antibiotics. Notice I didn't say that antibiotics work or do anything for a viral illness. They don't prevent viral illness from getting worse. They don't prevent it from developing into a bacterial infection. That doesn't really happen. Um, antibiotics don't do anything for viruses, which is why sometimes it may be frustrating when your child has a fever, you're told it's a virus, and there's really nothing that we can offer, right? We offer what we call supportive care, hydration, trying to keep the fever down if it's making them feel uncomfortable, but otherwise no real like magic medicine. So definitely frustrating for us just as much as it is for parents and for kids, um, but really it's, it's for the benefit of the child. We absolutely try to avoid unnecessary antibiotics, which would be the case in a viral illness. So bacterial infections, like, like I mentioned, right, pneumonias, UTIs, things like that, absolutely require antibiotics and will be, will be offered if that's necessary. It can sometimes be tricky to tell the difference between a viral and a bacterial infection. And we get this question a lot. How do you know the difference? A lot of times, and unfortunately, it's just time, right? Viral infections will go away without any further treatment. Viral infections typically are a little bit less severe. Kids are a little bit more happy, right? A little bit more perked up. 
have more energy. Bacterial infections are often, not always, but often um, have a, a little bit of a higher degree of fever, a little bit of a higher temperature, and those kids just, just don't look good. There's also some clues depending on the type of infection it is, right? Bacterial pneumonia usually have some, some fever and some rapid breathing. Um, UTIs are typically caused by bacterial and um, bacterially not viral. So anytime we think there's a UTI going on, that's something that would warrant some antibiotics. So we have some clues, but sometimes it can be tricky. And a lot of times it's just we have to let the illness sort of, sort of evolve and let the child tell us what is really going on. So let's talk about those other less common intruders, right? Autoimmune disease and malignancy. Obviously, a full discussion of them is, is sort of beyond the scope of what we're talking about today, but I do want to mention them for completeness, and I know that the parents worry about this, as do we, right? So we talked about how autoimmune disease is when the body starts to kind of attack itself because it has a perceived intruder. So again, we see this in arthritis, lupus. Those are some common autoimmune diseases that we see in children. The treatment for these is suppressing the immune system, right? And here, the immune system is kind of the culprit. They're the ones that are causing all the symptoms. There's no actual intruder. So the treatment is something like steroids or other immune suppressants to try to get the immune system to calm down and stop that attack. The other, again, very uncommon, but still absolutely occurring culprit of fever in pediatrics is malignancy. Right? So we always worry about this, but here's sort of some things to put you at ease. Again, not very common. And when we see fever as a result of malignancy, like leukemia, it's usually accompanied by other things. Usually fever is prolonged. There's really no other symptoms to explain the fever, like cough or congestion. Usually there's some pallor and, and true lethargy and weakness associated with it. Some of those kids are start to refuse to walk because oftentimes leukemia results in deep, deep bone pain. So definitely something that we don't see on a regular basis, but we do have an index of suspicion for. Um, and if we, we are worried about this, we'll do some lab work to make sure that's not what's going on. So when to worry about fever. So believe it or not, it's not the number. I get this question a lot. When should I worry? Is it 102? Is it 102.5? Is it 105? And I say, never. I actually don't care what the number is. What do I care about? How does the kid look? So I like to give the example of somebody who comes in, right? And the child has, let's say like a 101 and they look awful. And I think we've all seen this as pediatricians and probably as parents as well, right? This kid who's just laying around and they're not themselves. And parents know their kids. So if someone tells me they're just not acting like themselves, that's always a red flag for me. Um, just kind of laying around, watching, right? Not, not being their usual self, low energy level, no appetite, not drinking. That's a child I worry about. So that's somebody that I am going to recommend we try to bring that fever down because a lot of times this is just a result of them, you know, not feeling well, the fever is making them not feel well. Fever actually takes a lot of energy to mount. And so, you know, kids who are, especially kids who are younger, don't really have a lot of energy left over for anything else. So if we are able to bring that fever down, the kid perks right back up and now they're happy and playful, then perfect. I'm, I'm much less worried. And that's somebody I'm probably going to recommend. We go ahead and try to keep that fever down as clearly this is a child that, that really doesn't, doesn't feel well with the fever. What about a child who's 105? So we've all seen this as well, right? Kids who have 104, even 105, and they look great. They're running around. If I see them on telemedicine, the you know, parent is chasing after them with the phone to try to show me what, what they look like. Um, and they're just their usual self, happy, active, playful, drinking well, good white diapers. Guys, I don't care about that 105 and neither should you. We see this a lot of times with actually something called roseola. 
super, super common virus that we see in early childhood where it's days and days of high fever and nothing else. So that can be a little bit scary for us because there's no clue as to where the fever is coming from. The high fever, so we pause, um, and then sometimes we end up doing a workup. Like I've seen these kids get, get blood work. Everything looks fine. Again, kid looks great. So we wait and wait, and then all of a sudden that fever breaks, and the child has a full body rash. If you ever want to look it up, if you Google roseola and you go to, go to images, um, every roseola rash I've ever seen looks the same. Um, this is a very common virus, totally harmless, um, com- completely benign, goes away by itself, doesn't need anything. Usually by the time that rash comes about, the child's not even sick. They're not contagious by the time they have a rash. And again, that's an example of a really high fever that doesn't worry, does, doesn't worry us. So I always say, I don't care what the temperature is, and neither should you. I should say that a caveat to that is when we try to monitor the fever curve, right? If somebody has a prolonged illness, they have a prolonged fever, maybe going on for a couple of days, it looks like a virus in the beginning, but it's something that we want to watch a little bit closer. Sometimes the trend of that fever can be really helpful for us. Somebody comes in with a 102, and then over the next couple of days, that fever is slowly trickling down. That usually, not always, but usually is an indication for me that a child is starting to feel better, that the illness is resolving, right? That virus is going away by itself as it should and nothing else to do but continue to watch and observe the child. If that fever starts going up, right? It's climbing every day and there's really nothing else going on. That's a child that I'm probably gonna wanna bring back into the office, re-examine and again, try to look for where the fever is coming from. Notice that the pattern here is never like, I'm worried about the fever, I wanna try to get the fever down. But the pattern is always, where is the fever coming from? Remember, fever is that alarm sound. So I want to know why is that alarm going off and where are those guards going? What intruder are they fighting? Is it something that I can also help address? When else should we worry? So again, how, how is a child acting? That's always a big one for us. Hydration. So I mentioned that's probably one of the biggest risks we see with a viral illness. Um, how, how well is a child staying hydrated? So for younger kids, this can be tricky. We have to monitor the amount of wet diapers they have. For older kids, right, who are verbal and who are toiletrine, um, can even be harder because they're not telling us when they're going to the bathroom, but absolutely something that we need to monitor closely. So I, I always say, push, push fluids. Don't worry about the appetite. It'll come back later. Lethargy and neck pain is a big one. We don't like to use the word lethargy in pediatrics. To me, somebody describes a lethargic child, that's somebody who's truly like difficult to wake up. So lethargy, neck pain, or like neck lag, right? When we're trying to pick them up and their neck is kind of like lagging behind and not, you know, they're not actually able to keep their head up straight. And older kids is always concerning for me. So that's somebody that needs to be seen right away. Obviously headache and neck stiffness, um, that's always a sign for us. So meningitis, that's not not a fever that I would sit on. Um, Any other clues, right? Clues are helpful to tell us what's going on. So cough, congestion, runny nose, usually associated with the virus. Um, things like burning with urination, right? Or malodor is urine, maybe a diaper that smells abnormal um, or atypical makes us think about a urinary tract infection. Fever, anyone less than two months. This is a special category. These are high-risk individuals, little babies who don't have a great immune system yet. They're actually still relying on their mommy's antibodies. Um, and so these are kids who actually need a prompt evaluation right away. Typically, these are kids we send straight to the emergency room just because we're really, really not good at being able to distinguish sick babies versus really, really not sick babies, right? Remember I said in older kids, we look for like, how are they looking? How are they acting? How are they drinking? How many white diapers do they have? Turns out we're really not great at being able to differentiate that um, that in babies. So typically, anybody less than two months with a fever ends up going to the emergency room and gets what's called a full sepsis workup. That includes getting blood drawn. 
urine drawn as well as a spinal tap. These babies are very high risk for blood, urine, and um, infections of the fluid around the spinal cord or meningitis, and typically ends up getting admitted to the hospital, put on antibiotics, while we wait for some results to come back to make sure that it's not a bacterial infection. Again, lethargy, dryness, neck stiffness, irritability, um, usually things that worry us a little bit more, things that need to be seen right away. Refusal to drink, decreased wet diaper, um, maybe persistent vomiting, persistent diarrhea in kids who are younger um, can be very, very difficult to kind of make up from a hydration standpoint. So any worries about hydration need to be seen right away. Even longer than three to four days. So this is kind of where I pause and I say, okay, so, you know, things like a virus will usually start to improve by then. Maybe that fever curve, right, will start to go down and that temperature will start to trickle off a little bit um, and, and the kid is right overall improving. But if we have persistent fever, right, so 100.4 or above persistently every day for three to four days without any improvement in the fever curve or the symptoms, that's something that I'd want to be seen in person, right? I want to make sure that we're not missing a bacterial infection. I want to make sure that there's not anything else going on or anything that we can help with medicine or things like antibiotics. Kids who are unvaccinated. So we talked about this briefly, but again, these are high-risk kids. So we have wonderful vaccines now that prevent frequent meningitis, prevent frequent causes of um, bacteremia or infections in the blood. So somebody who's not able to have that protection from the vaccines is absolutely at risk of, of getting these infections. So fever in kids who don't have any vaccines is considered high risk, almost always requires a workup, at the very least um, blood work, right, a blood culture to make sure that there's no deeper infection going on. Um, and kids with chronic medical problems, right? So again, this whole kind of topic and reassurance that fever is not dangerous or fever is normal um, really only applies to kids who have healthy immune systems. So I'm not talking about kids who have cancer or sickle cell or cerebral palsy or some kind of immune deficiency where they don't necessarily have the ability to mount a fever, right? So obviously those, those children are in a special category um, and, and should be treated on a case-by-case -case basis. Usually those, those parents have the tools and have worked with the pediatrician and their specialists to make sure they know what to do when that child has fever. So what to do when the child has fever, right? So number one is don't panic, don't worry. Remember, fever is not dangerous. Fever by itself should never be an indication that you're bringing the child to the emergency room. When should you try to bring the fever down? So we talked about this a little bit, right? If the child is happy, active, playful, or they're sleeping, that's my favorite one, right? We got a lot of calls in the middle of the night, like, oh, I checked their temperature and it's 104 and should I wake them up and give them Tylenol? No, no, don't even wake them up to check the temperature. They're sleeping, they're comfortable. You can let them burn up. It's not dangerous. Nothing catastrophic will happen. But if they're sitting around, laying around, they feel awful, they wake up in the middle of the night because that fever is really uncomfortable for them and they're hot, absolutely, you can bring it down. Tylenol and or Motrin are excellent. You can give them one after the other. You don't have to wait space in between. We typically do not recommend alternating Tylenol and Motrin only for the reason that it's really hard to keep track of that and we don't want to make any mistakes and accidentally give right, two Tylenols together or two Motrins together. But if you have to work really hard to keep that fever down, right? if it's one of those kids that we mentioned does really poorly with fever and you really need to aggressively keep it down, um, it's safe to alternate. You just have to, those two medicines. You just have to make sure that you're keeping really close track of, of the dosages. You're not doubling up on them by accident. You, don't, you can also use sort of non-medicinal approaches to keeping that temperature down, cool compress, um, a cool bath, things like that. Hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. So always remember that the risk with fever is what? It's dehydration. So if they're not eating, it's okay. If they're not drinking, it's not okay. Push fluids any way that you can. 
somebody's absolutely refusing to drink or put anything in their mouth, I always recommend a Tylenol suppository first. That's actually one of the, um, I would say, fewer uh, benefits of Tylenol. I actually typically prefer Motrin if we're going to stick with, with monotherapy or just one medication. But if we're using Tylenol, if that's what you have on hand, great. Go ahead and try to you know use it. And again, Tylenol comes in a suppository. So if you're dealing with a younger child, right, or a toddler, maybe a nonverbal child who just is absolutely refusing to put anything in their mouth, go ahead and try to bring that fever down with a Tylenol suppository. And then you can, you can see if they're more motivated to try to drink. But hydration is the most important thing. So what's the bottom line? Fever is not scary. You should never go to the ER for fever. Fever is never going to cause brain damage or anything else. There's a separate entity called febrile seizures, which doesn't actually have much to do with the fever itself. And it certainly doesn't have anything to do with the height of the fever. It's something that, that some kids are just predisposed to and will have a seizure regardless of what the temperature or height of the fever is. Um, believe it or not, these seizures are actually harmless and kids grow out of them. They can just be very, very scary. And the first time it happens, it's, it's very alarming, obviously, for the family to have a child that's seizing. Um, but aside from that very small population of patients, nothing to worry about with the fever itself. Remember, the number by itself never actually tells us what's going on. What are we looking for? How did the child look? How are they acting? Happy, active, playful drinking? Perfect. Everything's fine. I'm not worried. I'll see that kid in the office. Absolutely. I want to know where the fever is coming from, but not somebody I'm worried about by any means. Remember, when kids are happy, when they're watching and playing, when they're sleeping, they're comfortable, never wake or bother the child up to check the temperature and never wake them up to try to give them any Tylenol, Motrin, or any other medicine to try to bring that fever down. When in doubt, you can always call us. Fever is a very common thing we see in telemedicine. We're happy to be the first top. And we actually actually should be the first stop before going to the ER or anywhere else. And certainly if it's in one of the categories that I mentioned before, we'll, uh, we'll absolutely evaluate that child virtually and decide if it's somebody that needs to be seen in person or would just benefit from more work. So give us a call if you have any more questions, leave us some comments here or on our Facebook or Instagram page. And we will see you next time on Kids.Talk. Make sure you like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for joining us on Kids Doc Talk. Talk.